So how many of you guys live dangerous? Yeah? So he's got some uh, CDs available if you want to stop by in the foyer and, and talk with them and pick up a CD. So turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 14. Do the voice. <laughs> that would be awesome. If I could take that and mix it with Ken Graves, that would be perfect. All right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the fact that we can just laugh together and that we are created in your image, God. And Lord, we're just so thankful to be your sons, to be your daughters. And Lord, as we have a few minutes to open up your word, we pray you'd really teach us and speak to us and give us understanding. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the middle of Paul's second, first missionary journey. So that didn't make any sense. We're right in the middle of his first missionary journey. And so if you have a map in the back of your Bible, uh, you might want to take a look at that as we'll be studying through. It'll kind of help you see where we're at. But we're right uh, in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And if you remember back to last week, they'd been sent out by the Holy Spirit, Paul and Barnabas, and they came to Antioch, which is different than the Antioch they were sent from, Antioch in Turkey, not Antioch in Syria. And they were expelled from the region. So now they head to the next city, which is Iconium, which is where we pick up. So Acts 14 and verse 1, it says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and Greeks, believed. So they come into the city, they come to the synagogue, they preach the gospel, and a great multitude of Jews and Greeks believe. Jews, of course, being ethnically from the nation of Israel, Greeks being non-Jews, and God works powerfully through the gospel. In verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. It literally means they embittered them. They put evil uh, in the minds of others. And this is often the attack of the enemy against the work of God. So God's work is happening and taking place, but there's unbelievers that aren't liking it, not appreciating it. So they go and they spread this poison about Paul and Barnabas. The unbelieving Jews, they stir up the minds of the Gentiles. And as you serve the Lord and you love Jesus and you take the gospel out, this is going to happen. There's going to be a times where there'll be a individual or a small group of people where they're going to start to stir up trouble and say things that are untrue about you. And just remember you're in good company. And I love Paul's response in verse 3. It says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. And as I was studying this chapter, there was a few things that stood out to me. And if you want to just write these things down, if you're a note taker, and this was one of them. The first is resist when you're attacked by the enemy. Resist when you're attacked by the enemy. Notice that it's a response to this spiritual attack. Therefore, they stayed a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. And when the enemy does attack, we're to submit to God, resist the enemy, and he'll flee from you. Maybe you find yourself, or you know you're in God's will, you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, but there is resistance. Instead of giving up or folding up and heading home saying, I'm gonna stay right in where the Lord has me. And Paul is fighting that good fight of faith and notice what God does as Paul and Barnabas stay in there. 
who bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So God's bearing witness of the power of his word. They're staying, they're enduring, and God does the supernatural. And the scripture tells us there's many miracles that are done to confirm the validity of the word of grace that they were speaking. Verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. So you have it split right down the middle, 50-50, where some are going with Paul and Barnabas, but then also some are being poisoned by the unbelieving Jews. In verse 5, and when violent, a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Lysonia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. We don't know the specifics of these violent attack, this violent attempt that came upon them. We know that they attempted to stone them. They hear of this attack, so what do they do? They head to the next city. So expelled out of Antioch, come to Iconium. Now there's a death threat upon their lives, an attempt to stone them. So now they flee to Lystra. This is a good indication that it's not wrong if your life's in danger for the sake of the gospel. Move on to the next city. Paul's not too proud to say, well, I'm going to just wait this out and see what happens. He says, I think this is my time to go. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next city. And the next thing that stood out to me in this chapter is be determined to press on. Be determined to press on. We can read this and just blink our eyes at it, but notice what happens when he gets to Lystra and they were preaching the gospel there. There's enough persecution that Paul and Barnabas have already gone through that it'd be really easy to say, I'm just going to lay off the gas pedal a little bit. I'm not going to come and preach the gospel with the same kind of determination. I'm not going to share the message of Jesus Christ. This morning in staff devotions, we were in 1 Corinthians. We're going through 1 Corinthians together. And we were reading about Paul's mission statement. Paul was saying, I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So as Paul was going to these cities, he had a mission to share Christ, to share the crucifixion of Jesus. He believed in the power of God. The foolishness of men is the the power of God. And just like you may be tempted to kind of step off a little bit because there's resistance, look at what Paul does and he says, I'm determined to press on. I'm going to keep going in the things that the Lord has for me. In Philippians 3, it says this about Paul. Not that I've already obtained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Had that forward mindset to press on in the things of the Lord. So let's look at verse eight. Let's see what happens When he comes to Lystra. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength and his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. So he was born crippled, born unable to use his legs. I wonder when mom noticed, when mom picked it out. Was it at birth? Was it that obvious? Was it at six months when a baby would normally start to crawl and pull himself up and those type of things? but it's very evident at an early age that he was never going to walk. I love verse 9. Then this man heard Paul speaking, 
Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had the faith to be healed. Another thing to note and pay attention to is look for what God's doing in people's lives. Paul's teaching. It's another day, another day of sharing. And here comes this crippled man. Paul notices that this crippled man is listening intently. And Paul begins to then be focused on upon him. And I wonder if Paul begins to pray, God, what are you doing in this guy's life? Why is he standing out to me? And Paul then saw that this man had the faith to be healed, that he trusted that God had the power to be able to allow him to use his legs. Now, that's a lot of faith when you stop and think about it. Every day of your life, your legs don't work. Maybe at different times you thought, I'm going to try. Maybe today's different and I'm going to put weight on my legs to fall flat on your face. And if Paul's just too busy doing his thing, if he's stuck in his rut and stuck in his routine, he's going to miss what God is doing in someone's life. This, to me, is the message of Acts, being open to what the Spirit of God's doing in the lives of people. You can be in the middle of the grocery store. You can be mowing your lawn in the backyard. You can be driving down Academy or Powers Boulevard, hanging out with your family. But the Lord knows hearts, doesn't he? And he's doing something in the lives of people. And then when we line up with the Holy Spirit and we go with what the Spirit's doing, then that's when life change happens in transformation. So Paul steps out in verse 10 and said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet, and he leaped and walked. So if you're in this Bible study, Paul hones in on this guy, raises his voice saying, stand up to your feet, and then he leaped and he walked. This is a miracle of creation right in this moment. Whatever the issues in his legs, the ligaments, the bones, the muscles, it's not there. And when God healed him, he created it in that moment. Now you have the attention of the whole entire community in verse 11. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lysonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes (laughs) because he was the chief speaker. So Paul was the one that would speak more than Barnabas, so he gets to be Hermes, while Barnabas gets to be Zeus. Paul and Barnabas' response to this in verse 11 and 14, the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, including to sacrifice with the multitudes. They're going to go for it here. They're going to full on begin to worship these guys as deity. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out. In this culture, if someone dies, a family member dies, you tear your clothes out of grief. And they're showing this is a big deal. We want your attention. You can't just continue to give us this worship and praise. Verse 15, and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them. They're not about ready to touch God's glory. They give God the glory. That's another thing to write down and to meditate upon. If God uses your life in an amazing way, just like God used Paul and Barnabas, you're obedient to the Spirit, you see God do spiritual, supernatural things, don't begin to take the credit. And point it to the Lord. He says, you know what? We have the same nature as you guys. We're sinners just like you. May we never forget that. 
God saved us. He died for us. Someday we're going to be glorified. But until we get home to be with the Lord, we're sinners just like everybody else. We all come from the same place. There's equal footing at the cross. Then that's the exhortation to turn. Turn from these useless idols and turn to the creator, the one who's created everything, who's made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that's in them. And verse 16 who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, fulfilling our hearts with food and gladness. Paul says, look, God has given a witness of himself even in creation. Even in creation, it expresses the goodness of God, the changing of seasons that God provides for us that we have rain, that we have crops to be able to eat from. Romans 1 tells us that even creation speaks of the divine attributes of God to where we're without excuse. So we've got a design, which then means there's a designer. And we see that throughout our world. You probably have your phone on you somewhere, maybe an iPad, some kind of device, and there's design there. There's intricate design. So there has to be a designer. Everybody accepts that there's a designer. And even to these people groups that are completely filled in idolatry, Paul's saying, God gave a witness to you that these idols didn't create the sun. These idols didn't create the change of seasons. These idols didn't cause the the seed to, to be able to grow. The creation of God bears witness. Verse 18, and with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitude from sacrificing to them. So as they're saying this and as they're speaking to it, they're attempting to worship them and to make sacrifices to them. Now take a deep breath because everything's going to change in verse 19 and 20. Maybe you have a short little season where you're Mr. Popular, Mr. Mrs. Popular. Everything's going great and everyone's giving you accolades and, and praise. Well, just wait about 30 seconds, okay? Because that's about how long it's going to last. Look at verse 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium. So they travel some great distance to catch up with Paul. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. What in the world just happened? They went from going, you are the best thing ever. You're deity. You're Hermes and you're Zeus. To here comes some guys from Antioch and Iconium, who hate Paul, that want to see Paul dead, they have a few town hall meetings. They get it out on Twitter and Facebook. Paul's this, Paul's that. And all of a sudden, here they come with their stones, and they stone Paul to the point where they think he's dead, and they bring him out, and they lay him down on the side of the road. Another thing for us to consider is be certain people are fickle. Be certain that people are And a trap that we can all fall into is we start living for people. We start living for the praise and acceptance of of one another and our peers and those that we look up to and sometimes people that we don't even care that much for. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 that he'd settled this issue in his life that he was a servant of God, that he wasn't looking to be a man pleaser. And that's a great day in our life where we say, you know, I'm going to wake up and serve the Lord today. Just as Riley was expressing, God has created me. He's given me creative ability. He's given me a call upon my life. And I want to serve him. I want him to be pleased. I'm going to live for 
an audience of one. And it seems like this is very prevalent in our day and time and culture is to want to live for the praise and the acceptance of, of people. Notice how quickly it changes. One day they may be worshiping you. Well, the next day, those same people are probably going to want to stone you. So live for the Lord. Live for the one who really matters. They had beat him so bad with these stones that they thought he was dead. Supposing him to be dead. This is something that I think you'd probably take pretty seriously if you hated Paul to, to this degree. He's on death's doorstep here. One of the things to consider with this as well is Paul was the one who was on the stoning end prior to this. He was consenting to Stephen's stoning, right? He was there holding the coats of the men who killed Stephen. Now he's on the receiving end of the stones. He used to kill people for being followers of Christ. Now he's almost murdered for being a follower of Christ. It speaks of the great transformation in his life. In verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. I love this. I think this is a picture for us in Scripture. When you get beat up, when you get stoned, if you would, not from drugs or marijuana, but just get beat up from the difficulties in life, get the believers around you. Because when the believers are rallied around you, there's strength, isn't you? They start praying for you. And hopefully you have those group of believers that you can call out to. It's one of the most important things about being in fellowship and, and being in community. That when hard times come, and they will, you're not all alone. You've got brothers and sisters in Christ that you can call and say, hey, would you come over? Would you pray for me? We're going through a difficult time. I think it's significant that the scriptures say the disciples gathered around him. And when they gathered around him, he rose up. And he decides, I'm going back into the city. If I was Paul, I don't know if I'd go back into the city at all. That shows the courage of Paul. And the next day, he goes to Derby. So if you're following a map in the back of your Bible, you can kind of track and see where Paul's going on this first missionary journey. In verse 21, and when they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So in Derby, they preached the gospel and made many disciples. And that's an important distinction because the gospel is what? That Jesus died for our sins and rose again according to the scriptures. So someone believes in the gospel, they're saved, and then they learn to walk with Jesus Christ. That's what we call making a disciple. That's what the scripture calls making a disciple. Someone becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and disciples were made. And that's what Jesus commands us to do. He doesn't just command us to make converts, but to make disciples. So as people believe the gospel, and then encouraging them, follow Jesus Christ. He's your savior. So forsake all to, to follow him. And they helped in this process. They helped him in reading the scriptures, helped him in learning how to pray, helped them in the importance of, of serving others. It's, it's much like when raising a kid, right? A child is born, but then in those first few years, it's very important to walk with them and help them learn all the essentials of life. And it's the same way. And Paul shows us this. He preached the gospel. They made many disciples. And this just blows my mind. Doesn't this blow your mind as well? What does he do? A fast track back to Antioch in, in Syria? No. He goes back to the cities where he was so persecuted, where he was so hated. He goes back to, to Lystra where they stoned him. 
This takes great courage. He goes back to Iconium, where there was a violent assault upon his life. He goes back to Antioch, which is in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He went back to the three cities where he was persecuted the most. Why? Because he's with the Lord, and more importantly, the Lord is with him. I know in our day and age, there's more and more evil around us. And the tendency is to be overcome by evil. But God tells us, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And Paul shows us that. These men that had these threats upon his life, even to the point of almost killing him, he doesn't fear them. He doesn't fear these cities. And he's able to come back into these cities. And he shows great strength in the Lord and tremendous courage. Maybe there's something that you're just kind of holding back on doing because you're afraid of evil and you're overcome by evil and you know there's a resistance to what God has called you to do. Be inspired by Paul's example. Notice what happens in verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you be extremely encouraged when Paul came back after this kind of persecution? They're probably thinking, we're never going to see Paul again. Here he comes. And their hearts are, are strengthened. Notice what he exhorts them in. He exhorts them to continue in the faith. And this is important in our lives, is to continue trusting in Jesus Christ, to believing that he's God, that he died for our sins, that he rose again. And please hear me out on this. I don't think it's a good place to be in to say, well, 20 years ago, I believe that Jesus is God, but tonight I've rejected Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't know what happened 20 years ago, but you're not in a good place tonight, and I'd hate for you to die and go into eternity because it's important to continue in faith, continue to trust that Jesus Christ is your Savior. It's not that you're going to be perfect, that I'm going to be perfect, but we're abiding in faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, I want you to continue in the faith. I want you to continue trusting Christ. I want you to continue to grow in Christ. A relationship with Christ is a forward motion. It's, it's we're growing in him. Now, Paul's message would be heard in this. When Paul says, we must go through tribulation before we enter into the kingdom, they're looking at Paul going, yep, absolutely. That's absolutely true. Looking at his determination and how he doesn't stop in the midst of tribulation, and they're inspired. I wonder how many tribulations they went through in their life and they remembered the apostle Paul and they remembered how he was stoned left for dead got back up went into the next city and they preached and they said okay we're not going to allow tribulation to stop us when it comes to the things of God we need to be careful that we don't just kind of leave this out you know that we go well this must be for Christians in Syria that are suffering for their faith this is got to be Christians in Egypt who are being martyred because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There's no way around this. We will go through tribulation until we enter into the kingdom of God. And some of the tribulation happens just as the woes of this life. The furnace goes out, the dishwasher breaks, you get a flat tire, all those kind, kind of things. That's going to happen. But I think what Paul is specifically referring to here is there's going to be tribulations because you're a Christian. There's going to be difficulty because you're, you're following Jesus Christ, but it's worth it. 
Paul's suffering here in this way because he believes that the message of Christ is worth it. It's worth the suffering in order to get the message of Jesus Christ out. And it moves our hearts. I think that it has great impact when we see Paul in this way. In verse 23, so when they appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord and whom they'd believe. So Paul's a church planter. He's seen churches birthed in these communities on this first missionary journey. And he sets up elders. If you remember reading and studying together out of 1 Timothy, we saw what a biblical elder should be. And this is God's model of how a church should be led. That there would be godly spiritual men inside of the church that are accountable to lead the church and to serve the church. So now there's leadership that's set up. And notice that before he leaves, he fasts and prays with each church. Fasting and prayer is a habit of the early church. Paul and Barnabas were sent out through prayer and fasting. Kind of a lost art for us a little bit, isn't it? Man, it's difficult to fast. I'm not going to lie. It's not one of my most favorite things to do. One of my more favorite things to do is to get a cheeseburger than to, to fast. What's the biblical importance of it? You're setting aside food in the time that you would normally eat food to seek the Lord in prayer. And I think it's an important thing to consider is the Holy Spirit leading you to fast. And I'd encourage you to be fasting and praying for our church and churches in our city. And there's a lot of churches, a handful of churches I know in our, in our city that are currently searching for pastors. Be praying for them. There's, this is not something that is seen. It's something that is unseen. It's not something that we're to tote, hey, I fasted today, and look how spiritual I am. But there's real impact that takes place in prayer and in fasting. Take time to set aside to pray for your kids, to fast and pray for them. There's a spiritual work that's done in their life. Maybe it's a a meal. Maybe it's breakfast. Maybe it's lunch. Maybe it's a day. Allow it to be spirit-led, but it's an important part of our lives and experiencing the, fat, the power that comes through, through fasting. And then they commended them to the Lord. This is great. Invest in people's lives. You'll be in their life for a season. And then entrust them to the Lord. God's the one that's the author of their, founda- their s- salvation of their faith. And he'll be faithful to complete that good work that he started in them. In verse 24, And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to P- Pamphylia, Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went to Attila, and from there they sailed to Antioch. And this is Antioch in Syria on the Mediterranean Sea where they began their first missionary journey, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. This is where they started off. Notice the wording where they were commended to God's grace. They weren't sent out on this missionary journey apart from the grace of God. This was going to be God's grace working in and and through their life. And then notice it says, for the work which they had completed. Accomplish what God's given you to do. If God's sent you on a missionary journey, complete it. Be faithful to it. If the Lord's put something on your heart and your family with your kids, man, seek to, to be faithful to it. If the Lord's put on your heart something for God's people, complete it. See it to the end. Paul and Barnabas had the joy of coming back and experience the completion of of this trip. Verse 27. Now when they'd come together, now when they had come and gathered the church together, 
they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. This is hugely significant. You know the struggle that the Jewish church, the Jewish believers in Messiah, were having with accepting the Gentiles. And Paul experienced on this trip Jews' hearts that were hard to the Lord, but Gentiles who had an open heart to the Lord. And he got, guys, you'll never believe it. There's an open door with the Gentiles, with the non-Jewish people. Remember, some of these cities had already been visited by believers, but they intentionally didn't tell the Gentiles. Isn't that far out? They, they went through these cities and said, well, we're only going to share with the Jews. We're not going to share with the Gentiles. So Peter had already had the experience with Cornelius, a Gentile. Now Paul is seeing Gentiles come to know the Lord in groves. And sometimes I think as we share the gospel and we do the work of an evangelist and we get involved in the lives of people, sometimes we just got to open our eyes to say, who's, who's listening? Who's hungry? Maybe you've been going to someone for a long time and they're rejecting it and they don't want to have anything to do with Christ. Leave them in the Lord's hands. Keep loving them. Keep looking for open doors. But who is it in our community that really wants to hear? Who is it on your street that you live in or apartment complex that wants to hear? Who is it at your workplace that is kind of the Gentile, that the outcast that God wants to, to work in? The testimony that the faith was with the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And this is the time before being sent out on their second missionary journey. We've got church planters that have gone out from, from our church. We have missionaries that have gone out from our church. Pray for them. Maybe stop by the, the missions wall and pick one or two missionaries to, to pray for. I know a lot of times we get to have them back and hear the testimony of what God has done. And also, see what the Lord would be sending you out to do as you seek the Lord in prayer and fasting. What is it that God is separating you for? What's your own venture of faith, your own story that God wants to write in and through your life? So a few things in application for us tonight is first is resist when attacked by the enemy. Remember back to verse three where it says, therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. You're being attacked. There's those that are coming against you. Hang in there. Be faithful unto the Lord. And then determined to press on into what God has. Maybe you came this Wednesday night and you just felt like giving up. Maybe you said, you know, I'm just kind of tired of trying. Maybe you have been reaching out, teaching the third graders down, down the hall here, or investing in your kids, or praying for, for a neighbor. Nothing. I'm not going to do it anymore. Maybe you're in a very difficult marriage. And you came in tonight and said, well, I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm not going to get a divorce. I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to, I'm going to stop investing. I'm just going to give up. You know, the easy thing for me to do in life is go on autopilot. I don't necessarily go AWOL. I don't go do something crazy or stupid. I just get apathetic and I'm not passionate and I don't press in and I don't press on. And that's so easy for Paul to be able to do that. He could have said, I'm just going to put it on cruise control. But he intentionally went to the next city and the next city and the next city and he preached Christ and him crucified. This shows us how much that Paul believed the gospel, the power of the gospel, how Christ had touched and, and changed his life. 
And tonight, if you have given up, I want to encourage you, and may the Holy Spirit just touch your heart to be able to press on. I think one of the more dangerous things for us as a Christian is to be heartless. And what I mean by that is we have no more heart in our love for the Lord or the things that he has called us to do. Press on, keep going, see what the Lord has for you. See what the end of this journey was leading to. Derby, where there were so many disciples that were made. The last victory wasn't that Paul was almost stoned to death. The victory was he went back to these cities and he saw churches established. So be determined to press on into to what God has. And then be certain that people are fickle, that they're completely fickle. Don't get caught up in all of this. I think one of the things that social media has done for us, Facebook and Twitter and the things alike, is we get really worried about, well, how many likes is my post going to get, you know, or how many friends am I going to get on, on Facebook, or did, did my comment get, get re- retweeted? And then before you know it, you're not even posting stuff because it meant something to you. You're going, well, are people going to like this? How close of friends are all those people on Facebook anyway, Right? And why are we caught up in this? Somehow our identity is formed with, with what people think about us. Don't worry about it. If they love you one, one minute, give the glory to God. And then don't put any stock in it because the next minute, they're going to hate you. The next minute, they're going to try to stone you. The next minute, you put something about Jesus on, their, on your Facebook and they defriended you. You have to live on a higher playing field. And that's, God, I'm here to, to please you. I know it sounds trite, but I think it's something that we all go through and struggle with in one way or another. And then finally, did you hear Paul's message? Paul's message is heard. What if Paul was here tonight? He was all banged up and bruised. He may have had some permanent injuries from this stoning where he was almost killed. And he's saying, you know what, guys? It's going to be tough sometimes. You're going to go through tribulation before you enter into the kingdom. But think about how wonderful the kingdom's going to be. Paul also wrote that the things that we go through in this life can't even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. The parable of the sower, and then I'll end with this, talks about God's word being put into different hearts, different types of soil. And one is a person who hears the word and gets stoked, gets all excited They're telling everybody about the word and how good it is and how wonderful it is. But then when tribulation comes because of the word, it's a little bit more difficult because you are following Jesus Christ. It says that they get choked out. They're like a plant that has no root. In my front yard, I've got some pine trees and they shed their needles and have created really shallow soil and there's a lot of roots so I'll put down new seed, and it'll do good for one year, and then it always dies in the winter. And I've got to put seed in the exact same spot because it's shallow. And sometimes we're like that in our walk with God. We're shallow. We hear a message, and we hear it over and over again, and we receive it with excitement, but we don't bear fruit in our lives because we haven't counted the cost that there's going to be some difficulty that goes with it. So accept the trial, accept the difficulty, and go, you know, That's part of what I signed up for, that there will be tribulation in this life. But I'd much rather suffer for Christ than my own stupidity. Amen? Because you see people that don't know Christ, and it's not like that their life is any easier. They're suffering from poor choices and the sinful choices. And we've all spent too much time there. 
and what a privilege it is to suffer for Christ. And please hear loud and clear, don't be overcome by evil. Don't shrink back because of evil. Don't shrink back because of the fear of persecution. Trust the Lord and move forward into the things that, that God has for you. Read ahead next week. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 15. It's your favorite topic, circumcision. So you'll make sure you want to read ahead on that. Let's stand together and let's pray.